Good morning, Southbrook. I wish you all knew um, just how powerful these uh, songs you have just shared, sang, listened to, um, and how much they uh, really set the stage for what I'm about to say in a few minutes. I'm still going to preach, okay? But uh, man, what a, what a great, powerful time of worship and praise and I hope that you see some of our worship team members or band members or production people, camera people, and just say thank you for, for the part that they play because it's, it's huge. Uh, my biggest job is just don't mess it up now. <laughs> hey, I want to give you a quick update on Charlie. Um, many of you know, uh, if you were here last week, he preached the first service and then he uh, had a faint, he fainted and went down and so we, uh, they did call the squad, took him to the hospital and... Um, he spent the night at the hospital. Uh, we posted most of this on social media and on the website, but he, uh, he, they, he sent, went, went home the next day, and the doctors basically said he, he looked great. He's just been slowly recuperating, so just keep him in your prayers. Uh, he's been back in the office some this week. Um, I was already scheduled to teach today, so which made it kind of good, so he can kind of just kind of do, take baby steps and just kind of get back in the swing of things. So, um, but he's doing fine. Keep him in your prayers, uh, Sherry and, the, and the, all the kids. Uh, yeah, he's doing great. Thank you. It's awesome. You know, uh, most of us celebrated Thanksgiving this past week, one of my favorite holidays, just because it means family getting together. And then we had Black Friday, not one of my favorite days, and. Cyber Monday, um, maybe you're not sure if you knew this or not, but uh, on Tuesday after Thanksgiving is actually a, a nationally known day called Giving Tuesday. And it was interesting, I, it was estimated that on Giving Tuesday, there was like $3.1 billion given on that day, which sounds great, doesn't it? Until you compare it to Cyber Monday, which was four, over four times that amount, with $12.3 million given on, or not given, but spent on Cyber Monday, and that didn't include Black Friday. Maybe you wonder, well, what in the world made the difference between all of those? And there's a survey in Wall Street Journal that suggested two possible answers to that question. One is that many people didn't even know about Giving Tuesday, and then others and this is probably the more disturbing number, is that, that many people just didn't really know of an organization in, that really made a difference in their community in order to give to that. And that's such a shame. And so I, I want to let you know that at, at around Christmas time especially, we have these uh, amazing opportunities, and, and you have done such an amazing job in, in giving. And so... Uh, we, we want to share some exciting things. I've got like six bullets of things that we can just kind of praise God for because it, it all involves this community of Southbrook and your generosity. For example, hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions. Uh, Southbrook City Lights was recognized by the Ohio State Board of Education for donating backpacks and school supplies. We've reached hundreds of students and parents through Players Box. We've uh, built relationships of, by the hundreds through Reverie and through our pastoral counseling ministries. And uh, we've been able to begin the renovation of our campus to reach the needs of thousands of students and adults to strengthen mental health through academics, arts, and, and athletics. And uh, what's happening even right now that began this past Friday, spreading joy to under-resourced families this Christmas through the Hope for Christmas store. 
And you all have been a part of all of that, so thank you for that. And just to kind of give you a quick update on the Christmas store, it did start this past Friday and will continue on through December the 16th. Uh, we, our part that Southbrook has been playing is through the donation of socks and underwear. Other churches and nonprofits are taking care of all the other, other gift items. But all together then, we're serving so many hundreds and thousands of people and families through the Christmas store of under-resourced people. And uh, we're about 75%, I've been told by our community leaders, uh, our team leaders of this, of this initiative, about 75% of our goal has been reached. So we still have a, a little ways to go. And they've updated the Amazon gift list that you can either see online or you can stop at the gift, big gift box right inside the, uh, the atrium doors there. And there's a QR code there. You can scan it to see what is the updated and prioritized list to, to finish this strongly. But through all of this, we just say thank you. Thank you, thank you. And uh, if you're looking for a place to give a special gift this December, you know, Southbrook is the place. And you can be sure that we are uh, focused on making a difference in our community and being the hands and feet of Jesus. So again, thank you for that. When I, when I think of Christmas, one of the things that pops into my head, in fact, we sang about this in our first song, is the idea of light. Many of you get really, really crazy about decorating your homes with lights inside and outside. Um, I used to. <laughs> in fact, back when my kids were little, they said, Dad, you know, let's, let's put some lights up. So I did for a year or two, and then they came to me and said, Dad, let's don't put up any lights for Christmas. <laughs> I said, why? He said, because they're lame. I'm not sure if that's the word they used, but that's what they meant. And so I, we kind of stopped, and then, uh, and then now that they're adults, they're out of the home, they've come back at different times and said, Dad, we need to put up some lights again. I said, no, no, we're not. <laughs> Because they're still going to be lame, because I'm a three on the Enneagram, and I can't stand this kind of competition, because there's, there, we're 10 miles away from, from Clifton Mill <laughs> that has over 4 million lights. This is a, a picture that one of my water sports students who just graduated from Legacy Christian, he's, this was his first night flight, and he took this picture of Clifton Mill uh, from the air. I'm not sure if distracted driving rules apply to pilots or not, but... Uh, Hopefully he had someone else that took the picture for him, but, but yeah, so, but there's another light that, uh, that was really significant, and that's the light that John talks about in his gospel, where he says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, that light being the very birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and that light, in fact, it's, it's, it's not irony that what we're talking about in the book of Romans and the Christmas story are, in, in the, using the a phrase in, I learned in the, in the law department from, from my work at Xenia Municipal Court, it, they are inextricably intertwined, which simply means that you can't understand one without the other. They are so intertwined. And so this message that Paul is giving to the Romans and the Christmas story we're entering into is this, this season are so easily connected because they are inextricably intertwined. It was the prophet Isaiah centuries before the birth of Jesus. And he wrote about this baby that was to be born. And he said, for to us, and I want you to notice those words, for to us, for to us, this child is born and to us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Look at those words again. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those are, those are behavior or characteristics of, 
of a baby that really only belonged to deity, which is what Jesus was and is. And so when you think about these words, if, if Jesus truly is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, then you can't just react passively towards him. You can't just be, okay, it's life-changing, it's radical. In fact, any time in the Old Testament where someone came upon the Jehovah Jireh, God, Yahweh, or even in the New Testament, Jesus, they never left the same. They couldn't just be indifferent towards him. Abraham, he was a smoking furnace to, to the nation of Israel. He was like a pillar of fire. To, to Job, he was like a tornado or a hurricane. And even when Moses said, could I see your face? And God said, it'll kill you. But you can watch me, you can see me as I pass by. And then we see Jesus in the New Testament, times where people were, were when they saw his power and how he could calm the seas and, and, and do all those things that, that only God could do. They, they were fearful of the storm, but then they were terrified that they were in the same boat with Messiah God, this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. When Paul writes to, this, uh, to the Romans, he's going to tell them about this battle that we face. He's going to tell them about the, the gospel power that we have inside of us that has been made because of that sacrifice, because of who he is. He's going to talk about how we, can, uh, how we can become a slave to the thing, but how we can overcome that slavery and overcome that bondage. And all of that is found right within this text. This morning, I want to make sure we, I leave with you three truths that you can embrace right now today. The first truth is that the gospel is not just good advice. It's good news. I want you to understand and learn, and you already know this, but life change is hard. But there's an answer to that, and it doesn't have to be the period at the end of the statement. Yes, it's hard. But then the third, that experiencing freedom, true freedom from this bondage, is not only provided and not only possible, but it's promised and that that's what we'll learn today in this teaching. So put your seatbelts on and let's go to it. Here's the text in Romans chapter 6. What then shall we sin because we are no longer under the law but under grace? By no means. By the way, I'm going to come back to that in a second because that should remind you of verse 1 of that same chapter that Charlie spoke about last week. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Paul's using a contrast here. Obedience being the, same, the common denominator. You can either obey uh, through our own nature, our own desires and sin, or we can obey righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves of sin, 
you were free from the control of righteousness, but what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Well, that doesn't that speak to so many of our stories. The things that we used to obey have just left us with shame. Those things result in death. But now, but now, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the word of God. Hmm. I told you that verse 15 kind of begins like verse 1. If you remember Charlie teaching last week, it begins with what the, the rabbinical teachings used as a, as a debater's question. In other words, you start out with a question that maybe kind of be a little radical or, or, or cause you to sit up and take notice that because the question may have an obvious answer or may not have an obvious answer, but it's a question that kind of leads you and, and teases you into wondering, what's the answer? So he says, what then, in verse 1, shall we continue to sin just so we get more grace? Does that make sense? Do we, hey, we got this good news of grace, and so, hey, just keep on sinning. Because the more I sin, the more grace I get. And he says, no, 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 you, you don't understand. And, and then in verse 15, he begins with this rabbinical question and answer again. He says, so do we just sin because we're under the law? Or we're not under the law, but under grace? So a very similar question, just a little difference between the two. I love those kind of questions that make you stop and think. Um, I know a lot of schools still have debate teams. And those are, those are interesting. Sometimes you have to take a position that you don't even believe in, but you have to write a defense based upon that, that statement or that instance or that topic that you don't even know agree with. And you have to somehow debate that and kind of somehow try to prove it to be true. But those are always interesting because it makes you stop and think about other possibilities. I don't know about you, but I'm weary of a political debates. <laughs> In fact, I can't even watch them. I can't even watch them. I'm sorry. I, I, I want to know things about the, all the candidates and all that, but I just I cannot watch, watch the debates because it's, there's the lack of civility, the lack of substance. It's all about sound bites and trying to get the other person to say something that they can then attack and all about trying to get it on the, the local news media. So it has nothing to do with substance, nothing to do with, with really truly debating. It's all about, it's all about trying to make someone uh, uh, make a mistake and then to attack them. But here Paul is giving this question about the gospel. He says, I want you to think about the gospel. The gospel that you are now under, no longer the law, no longer sin, but the gospel, and that leads me to this very first truth, the gospel is not something that is just good advice, but it's good news. I bet you have someone in your life that you're going to think of here in a moment that just seems to always love to give unsolicited advice. You don't even want to hear it, but they're going to give it to you, and so you just kind of tune out. And let them talk because they're going to give you their advice whether you want it or not. You're thinking of someone and hopefully you're not elbowing the person sitting next to you. But uh, my kids were young. Actually, they, they were just they're out, of, out of the house, but they were kind of in their young adult years going through stuff like a lot of kids go through. 
And I remember my, uh, my daughters coming to me at different times, and, and they asked for advice, but they really didn't want it because they never took it. And you, you can relate to that. I'm sure you can. Finally, I remember the day I was standing out in front of my garage where I don't know where this came from, but one of my daughters came to me, and I'm not going to declare which one it is, but they know who, which one it is, <laughs> came to me and was, was asking this question. I said, listen, do you want to vent or do you want advice? Because there's a difference. And if all you do is want to vent, then I'll just stand there and let you vent, and I'm going to keep quiet. Because if that's what you want, then then. I'll give it to you, but if you really want advice, then ask for it, and I will give you my opinion, uh, but there's a difference between venting and asking for advice, and so we did that, so, but the, good, the gospel is not just good advice, because if there's advice, then you can take it or leave it, right? You can either say, yep, I agree with that, or no, I don't agree with that, or I don't want to listen to that, or I don't want to hear it, so just keep quiet. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is good news. Dr. Keller, Dr. Philip Keller describes one of his ways he defines and looks at the word gospel. He says it can be used in a military context. We sang about defender today and I hope that you can think back of the words of that song because it's so powerful and so describes what I'm about to say. But, but Dr. Keller says the word gospel was used oftentimes when commanders or generals would come back from war and they're ready to declare that the war has been won. And so they would bring the news into town. Of course, they had to come and give it themselves. They couldn't send it ahead by phone or email or text or whatever. So they would walk into the city, and they would bring their, their conquering armies, and they would declare, the war is over, victory has been won. And listen, that was good news. It was life-changing news. It wasn't like, oh, great, good to hear it. Ah. Uh, no, it caused people to celebrate. It caused people to come out of their homes. It caused people to have parties and celebration and go tell their neighbors because the war is over the victory has been won that was great news some of you remember maybe you've talked to your parents or grandparents when world war ii was over and when president harry truman made that declaration and this is what he this is what happened all over the news this was the philadelphia record which just simply says the war is over look at this bold headlines that was good news for our country. And all over the country, there were declarations just like that and headliners just like that because it wasn't just okay news. It wasn't just like, well, I'm glad to hear that, uh, but I'm, I'm busy right now. I'm going to stop. Or I'm going to keep doing what I was doing. No, you stopped what you were doing and you wanted to share this with everybody and talk about it because it was great news. And that's the gospel. So, this gospel is not just good advice. It's good news. And when you think about it, it doesn't inoculate you from your choices. It doesn't eliminate free will. We can still choose the wrong. We can still allow our desires. In fact, up in verse 12, uh, Paul says, don't let sin reign inside of you. And literally stop allowing sin to reign in you and stop obeying your desires the word desires is interesting because it has the prefix epi, epi, in front of it, which means over. And he says, so uh, we understand how desires could be maybe addic uh, addictions or habits that, we, that are unhealthy, things like that. We understand that. Don't, th those, those make a lot of sense to us. But, you know, there can also be 
over desires that control us. Let me give an example. Your career. The desire that you be the very, very best in your career. That's a great desire. Do the best. Learn your skills. Do it with excellence. Great desire. But it can become an over-desire, can't it? It can become an epi-desire to where it controls you. And now all you can think about at the expense of your family, at the expense of your own health, that's uh, all you care about. And that's when, when it becomes unhealthy because it's an epi-desire. You say, I want to get in shape. I want to get physically fit. It's a great desire. Nothing wrong with that. God's given us a great tool here, a great instrument. Take care of your body. But it can become an epi-desire, can't it? Where you get so focused upon health and so focused upon your physical appearance that, that it becomes unhealthy and it controls you to where you can't, you're no longer, it's your, it's your master. You're a slave to it. And that's what Paul's talking about. So don't just obey your epi-desires. And so that's, that's the idea of, of this gospel that gives us the power to overcome that. So he says later on that even, even things like, uh, like desires can be over, overemphasized in your life. Let me ask you a question. What is it something right now that you, you don't have to answer this out loud, but what is something right now that you say, this is kind of out of control inside of me? It's an epi-desire. You know, what, what's stopping you from, from having the life you really want to have? And, um, there was a, an older gentleman who was in his last days of his life. He was in the hospital, and his wife, Ethel, was with him. And uh, he just began talking to Ethel, and, and she knew it was, it was about over. And he says, Ethel, he said, you've, you've been with me all these years, and Back when I had a heart attack, you were with me. Back when I had that car accident, you were with me. I, when I broke my leg, you were with me. When I lost my job, you were with me. Ethel, you've been with me through a lot of bad things in my life. Ethel, you're just bad luck. <laughs> so when you think of something in your life that, uh, that is stopping you, preventing you from being the life, don't look at the person next to you. Don't think about a circumstance in your life. Look inside of you. And I need to look inside of me. I can't blame it on somebody else or on circumstances. It's me. Back in the 70s, actually 1967, um, an author came out with a book called I'm Okay, You're Okay. Some of you remember that. I bought it. I had it in my library for a long time. And it was about, all about self-help. And, and uh, it, it was kind of the, in fact, it was a bestseller for two years and then about 20 years later, <clears throat> a lady by the name of, uh, 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 trying to think what her last name is, but uh, anyway, she comes out with a scathing rebuke of the self-help movement. And her, the title of her book was, I'm Dysfunctional, You're Dysfunctional. <laughs> and with the subtitle, You're Not Okay and I'm Not Okay. And then she comes out about 10 years later with another book, and this book had to do with, with uh, uh, the uh, 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 kind of a uh, hatred towards, towards what she called right-wing Christianity that said, I'm okay, but you're not okay. And so she wrote a book about that. And then, uh, and then that became kind of very popular. But here, the point is the gospel message is that I'm not okay by myself, you're not okay by yourself, but there is someone who really is okay and he's good yes. and he's my savior. 
And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, so let's look at the next, John chapter 8. He says, I tell you most solemnly that anyone who chooses a life of sin is trapped in a dead-end life and is in fact a slave. A slave can't come and go at will. The son, though, has established position and run of the house. So if the son sets you free, you are free through and through. I love the fact, I, I've talked to so many of you and, and heard some of your stories. And the stories of, of enslavement and entrapment in recovery and through strip church ministry, through men's ministry, through women's ministry, and, and even through those times where you look back and say, that was a time that all it left me with was shame, which is what our text says. But you've learned that through the identity you have in Christ and through the power of the gospel, you are indeed set free. And I love those stories, and you're all testimonies to that, that power of the gospel and that good news. But here's principle and truth number two. Life change is hard. It's really hard. Two illustrations, one from the scriptures and one from the history of, of our country. Back when Israel was in Egypt, for 400 years they were enslaved. And that's all they knew. Generations grew up in that culture of slavery. That's all they knew. That was their reality. And God comes along and says, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to leave you in that condition. So he sends Moses and Moses then is going to lead them out of their captivity and bondage. But if you remember, after they left Egypt, they didn't know how to live in this new reality. In fact, they kept thinking and acting like they were in slavery. In fact, they even asked to go back. They said, we missed the, the food we had back there. We missed the, the, the culture we had back there. We, at least we had a place where we were staying, and now we're kind of wandering. And so they didn't know how to think differently in their lives because they were still thinking like they were slaves. Back in America's history, on January the 1st, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation declaring that all persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of the state shall be then thenceforth and forever free. Knowing that that was a war measure and not an actual amendment, he then pushed for and urged the passing of the 13th Amendment two years later that officially ended slavery. Historians uh, suggest that somewhere around 4 million former slaves were now, as a result of that, now set free. But do you think that's all it took? So we have a law now. So everyone who was formerly a slave now is free. And all those who were formerly oppressors now recognize the dig dignity and value of every human life. Did it work out that way? Has it still worked out that way? No. And so there's two issues there. One is that those who, who were formerly enslaved struggling to learn how to think as free men and women and children. But then also, there are those who are the oppressors, and they have to learn how to respect the dignity and the value of every single human life, regardless of skin color, regardless of background, regardless of culture. And none of those, neither of those have worked very well, because it's hard not to think as a slave, and it's hard as oppressors to allow people to think as free people and to stop treating them that way. 
So what does it take then? Life change is hard. But it begins really by focusing upon our new identity and this new reality that we have in Christ. I uh, spoke this past week with um, Mindy Fedekowski, who leads our counseling ministry. And uh, I just wanted to chat with her about some things that they do in, in their counseling to help people who are thinking still like a slave or thinking still like an oppressor. And how do we change that? And she was talking about uh, their, their mantra they have in the counseling ministry. In fact, I walked back in there, look, there's three different pictures in one of the rooms. And one of them says, here, find freedom from bondage. Number two is find joy to life. And number three is find comfort in pain. So those three mantras are, are part of our counseling ministry is that we find freedom from bondage, joy in life, and comfort in our pain. And then we're talking about how we teach people to basically, they use the book Atomic Habits and how we can basically start rethinking and start changing the way we think because our thinking is like in recovery ministry, they call it stinking thinking. And so we, we, our brain just kind of tends to go towards the, the bad instead of the good. So what are some things in life that we need to start doing that we differently and to start, start small? For example, if you feel like God, reading the Bible is something that really is helpful for you, say, I, right now I don't do it at all, okay, then start with five minutes. Don't start with an hour, start with five minutes. Just five minutes a day, get into God's Word. Find a devotional book or just start reading through the Gospels or wherever. If there's something that you don't enjoy doing or don't, can't do, then do less of that, but do more of what you enjoy doing and just begin processing that. If you're already doing it for five minutes, then do ten minutes. But just start with those atomic habits. Start small. Charlie last week talked about his, um, some of his changes and his habits. And I want to go back to a verse of scripture in verse 17. I, I love this. This is back in our text. And I read through this several times and all of a sudden it just kind of kept jumping out at me. Look at verse 17. He says, thanks be to God. That though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Look at that. Thanks be to you. This talks about our past. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves, okay, that's our past. It's not our, it's not our current reality. That's our past reality. It's what we struggle with, but it's the past. Our current reality is now you have come to obey from your heart, obeying not just to gain approval, not just to get God's uh, acceptance. It's because you're obeying from your heart. And here's the key, the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. What is now you are, what is your master? Who are you obeying? What are you obeying? And so we talked about just simple things that you can add to your life that can kind of help give you and help you experience this freedom that is not only possible, but promised. And so Charlie talked about some of those things. I, I, I want to share with you some of mine, because the idea of coming to bed, and, and listen, don't make this so difficult. Don't think that you have to have it all figured out. I love in the, in the Christmas story when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, Mary, you know, you're going to have this child. You're a virgin, but you're going to have a child. And, and she didn't conclude, even after she said, how can this be? How can this possibly have never been with a man? Finally, her conclusion was, was not, okay, I've got it all figured out now. It all makes sense. No. She said this, I am the Lord's servant. 
May it be to me as you have said, a simple acceptance of that. She's not saying it's clear now. I have no questions whatsoever. She's just saying, I don't understand. I don't have to understand everything. I just know I need to do obey from the heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed my allegiance. That's come a key verse to me, and I hope it becomes to you. So here's, here's some things in my, my personal life, and most of this has come just since I've been sitting in the seats where you are right now in the last 15 years or so. One is I love the five S's of Southbrook. Scripture, solitude, support, service, significant events. And the identity triangle has really become key to me because as a three on the Enneagram with a one wing, I'm an achiever and, uh, and, and I, I can really, really get unhealthy with perfectionism. And that is me to a T. And when I look at the identity triangle and see the father and the identity and obeying out of the identity, look how the direction that this flows. From my understanding of, of him being my heavenly father, that he is my dad, my Abba, and my identity is, is founded in him, as in his love and acceptance of me, that's what flows obedience in, not the other way around. I always try to do the triangle the other way. I wanted to obey, 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 be good, be good, be good, because that gives me identity, and maybe God will be okay with me. And I went the wrong way on a one-way street. So that has been huge to me. To recognize that identity triangle. That, that affects my brain, my cognitive part of my being. And now it affects my emotions and my external parts of my being. Here's the part that affects my mind. And again, I've, I've got this right here sitting in those brown sheets where you are. As I remember the first time I heard Charlie say that I'm a beloved son of the most high God with supreme value and worth. Just as I am today. I can't tell you the number of times I've shared that with people. I've shared it with the teams I coach at Dayton Christian, the girls' volleyball teams. And if any of them are here, they, they'll vouch for that, that we talk about that all the time. That, that becomes our sense of identity, is that I'm a beloved son, I'm a beloved daughter of the Most High God with supreme value and worth, just as I am today. And then Mindy said, ask this question at the end, when you make that statement every morning, today I will what because of that today I will what and put that into practice and put that into action I love that and then there's one other thing Kurt Thompson in his book the deepest place um, Austin's recommended that Charlie talked about it last week he talked about four four things that really are necessary that we all long for and that is to be seen soothed safe and secure and uh and God loves that in that. And that's who the mighty God, all, all, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, those are all those things. And, uh, and we need to be, know that we are loved. I, I did a thing this yesterday morning that I never thought I would do, actually, to be real honest with you. But it's because of my, my girls and my love for my girls. And they've been after me for a long time. Said, why don't we get a, a family tattoo? And you know what, I, my, my excuse is, hey, well, when I get old, uh, no one will know what it, what it shows, what it says, or what it, what it is, a picture of it. So I, that excuse was long gone. <laughs> so I didn't have that excuse to fall back on. So yesterday morning, we met up with my girls, and we all did this little thing, and, and uh, 
So I said, okay, there's one condition, though. You, it can't be on a place that's awkward or embarrassing. So we all decided we put it on our uh, right uh, forearm. <laughs> right forearm. And it simply says, uh, God is greater than our highs and lows, Romans 8, 38 and 39. Why did I do that? Because I love them. What you may, what you're going to hear in the next few minutes may be the reason you're here today. Because several, uh, several months ago, I heard this song on the radio, and it immediately caused me to just to, I mean, it, it just wrecked me. And I told Reagan, my granddaughter, who's going to lead in, in this song, I said, you've got to sing this sometime. And so um, I want you just to enjoy that this is this is a gift to you and it may be the reason you're here today to hear the power and the message of the song this is the gospel this is this celebratory rejoicing gospel that regardless of what you've ever done or where you are now you are perfectly perfectly loving i'll come back and pray us out after they sing merry christmas what a gift Let's pray, and then uh, the tables of communion are set, ready. What a wonderful time for you to kind of affirm this power of the gospel in your life by partaking of those emblems that represent our, our, the blood and the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that wonderful counselor, that mighty God, that everlasting Father, that Prince of Peace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for being who you are. Thank you for this amazing, life-changing radical good news that becomes the source of our identity thank you father for the victory that you've already won you've gone way ahead of us father in this war and you have brought back the promise not just the possibility but the promise of victory and lord we claim that today it's going to be hard life changes always hard but father that promise that you've given to us is the fuel that that enables us. That's that gift of your grace, Father, that is purely a gift. And we claim that and we revel in that today. And we thank you again in Jesus' name and everyone who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Have a blessed Sunday.